0: Hi, everybody. Stefan Molody from Freedom Aid Radio. A few days after the Obama versus Romney election of 2012, a couple of points to take away, I think, encouraging and positive. The first is to understand that the overwhelming majority of American voters are virulently anti-statist. This is really, really important to understand. The election was very close, uh, 51, 49 kind of thing, uh, Obama versus Romney. Now, the important thing to remember is that the Democrats get vast amounts of money and bodies in the booths from the public sector unions. And if you take away that advantage and that clear conflict of interest advantage for the Democrats, you can see just how overwhelmingly pro-freedom and pro-market and anti-state the U.S. general population really is. The public sector unions are going to vote for the candy ass Santa Claus, who's going to shove as many treats down their chimneys as their chimneys will stand. And so they're going to go with Democrats, and that's what they've traditionally done. There are poor and minorities who traditionally have voted with Democrats for a variety of reasons, not least of which not having a lot of cultural history with laissez-faire capitalism and the Western Greek-Roman Enlightenment tradition. But if you take away those aspects of the voting record, then you can see that the vast majority of people want to have a smaller government and a free market. And even the polls suggest, uh, in fact, the polls seem to be quite sure and certain that over 55% of Americans believe that the government is doing too much. And so if you take away the people who are simply voting on their own economic interest, there are massive amounts of people who are anti-parasitical. Now, the fundamental error, I think, that the Republicans have made is twofold. One, of course, is that they have uh, crumbled to left-wing pressure, to the general veering towards the left that has been going on for the past two or so generations. They have crumbled on that to the point where it just looks ridiculous if they champion laissez-faire. So here you have Mitt Romney, a champion of laissez-faire, who won't specify anything that he's going to cut, who introduced fairly seriously socialized medicine in Massachusetts, and then claims to oppose it at the federal level. You see, this layer of politics, virtue. This layer of politics, evil. I mean, it's, it's an embarrassing and ridiculous argument to have. And so the Democrats have taken the ground of, you know, free crap for everyone at the expense of the unborn. The Republicans have taken the same tack, but unfortunately have draped it in free market rhetoric Uh, And those people who believe the rhetoric think that they have something to do with the free market, and those people who don't like the fact that the free market is blamed for what happens when the Republicans are in power. So that's all juicy and yummy for the general swelling of the state. That's the first. Now, the second issue that the Republicans have is that they have uh, a problem with the parasitical class, with the people who use the state to lever the kidneys out of their fellow citizens at the point of a gun. Uh, They have a problem with the poor, and you can hear them, of course, complaining about, you know, the 48% or 47% of people who are on the net receiving end of government theft. Uh, But, of course, when somebody who says that welfare for the poor is a bad idea then talks about increasing military spending even beyond what it is now, which was Romney's platform, I mean, that strikes against... The moral nerves of the US society at, at two levels. The first level, of course, is that Americans are war weary. It's something that isn't really talked about, but uh, everybody knows that it ha- it's had an effect on the economy. Uh, everybody knows somebody who knows somebody who's uh, been negatively affected. And remember, the couple of thousand dead that we see is one tenth of what who- people have actually been killed or injured, um, not on the battlefield. I mean, guns and tanks and grenades are just dangerous things to have around, even if you're not lobbing them at people. And so the war weariness of Americans and what the democratic demagogues have stoked for the past generation or two, which is the hatred and fear of the rich, those combined, so when you hear Republicans talking about the problem is the welfare for the poor and we need to increase military spending, what they basically hear is that we don't like poor parasites, we want to increase spending on rich parasites, i.e. those who are benefiting from the military-industrial complex. And so there really wasn't much of a fight if the republicans had taken a stand uh, and even but if if, to take a stand on on free market and property rights and um, the non-aggression principle at any level to take a stand on that is to repudiate and attack both past republican policies of the past 40 years and current republican policies that have recently been enacted or are being proposed so for instance social spending like spending on social programs and entitlement goes up faster when the Republicans are in power. So then to turn on those and say that these are violations of moral rights and so on, I mean, it's just ridiculous. You would actually ha- you would have to break with the party completely and therefore you wouldn't have access to the funding. So I don't want to hash it out too much. Uh, I think it's, um, it's a good thing that Obama's in power because it seems unlikely that the system's going to last, at least in its current manifestation, for too much longer. And so I think it's good to have a lefty in power when the shite hits the fan. Only Nixon can go to China, right? Only the virulent anti-communists can go and create detente with China. And if you're on the left, then you can take on the public sector unions, which he may well have to do, particularly on the pension side. But if you're on the right, you can't. And so Thatcher went down for trying to control the uh, public sector unions in England. Uh, But here in Canada, because we had left-wing liberals who cut government in the 1990s, they were able to take on those entitlements fairly successfully. So it's a good thing, in my opinion, that Obama's in power because he's the only one who can take on these entitlements. It is, of course, completely ridiculous that people who are massive net beneficiaries from state power get to vote for the expansion of state power. I mean, it's, it's really like getting to vote for your own lottery ticket after the lottery is finished or getting to vote for how much your lottery ticket is worth if and if you ever win. Uh, It's clear conflict of interest would never be allowed in the private sector. You would go to jail for doing this as an executive. But, of course, it is called um, the virtue of democracy in the public sector. So many people are bought off. So many people are dependent. And there's so much social and emotional pressure that is put on people who are thinking of not voting for the left. If you're in the sort of public sector unions, they know how to take it to the wall. People on the right, they don't know how to take it to the wall yet. They don't know how to say to people, look, if you vote for the continuing economic deterioration of this country, our personal relationship is going to be in significant jeopardy. People don't know. You, you create social change by putting your relationships on the line. You don't do it by pounding lawn signs and sending money to people. It's just nonsense. The billion dollars apiece, roughly, that was spent on this. Gosh, imagine if we'd taken all that energy for the chasing the flag-waving lemmings-off-the-cliff nonsense of politics and applied it to, you know, peaceful parenting, to educating people about philosophy and, and all of that kind of good stuff, really laying the foundation, right? Because it's really uh, we have this illusion, so many people in politics all over the world, they have this illusion that people look at the objective facts or look at what they perceive as the objective facts and draw their conclusions or they inherited a bunch of conclusions about politics and they reinforce those with facts that they pick and choose. And so people have this belief that uh, what we believe is the effect of the facts that we're exposed to, right? And, and therefore, if we expose people to different and newer facts, they will change their beliefs. Uh, this is not true. I mean, I, It's so irresponsible for people in the the I-want-to-change-the-world community or I-want-to-change-the-course-of-my-society community to not do the damn research into figuring out the latest science of how people change their minds and under what conditions people change their minds and what exactly is being changed in their minds. If you want to change people's minds, you have to, have to, have to. I beg. I'll put the sources below. You have to look at the science of how people change their minds. The contents of people's minds, the belief systems that they hold, are absolutely not, in no way, shape, or form, a result of any objective evaluation of information. The prejudices are are inherited. They are socially inflicted. They are propagandized in school, in church, in communities, in families. Uh, They are reinforced by endless bouts of patriotic media and and all this sort of nonsense. So people are just an emotional, Gordian-knot, kaleidoscopic clusterfrag of prior prejudices stuffed into their heads and held aloft by the um, spears of social approval or ostracism. And so uh, everybody is prejudiced almost and and everybody maintains those prejudices for fear of social attack, ostracism or disapproval. And so because people can't, uh, they haven't been reasoned into their beliefs, they can't be reasoned out of their beliefs. This is just basic scientific facts. When people are confronted with a moral question, moral decision or significant sort of larger society decision You can see it's the base of the brain, the fight or flight mechanism that that fires first and only much later does the uh, neofrontal cortex, the reasoning center of the brain, kick in and create some sort of justification. And so people, like say people on the left, they want a whole bunch of pension benefits and they want a whole bunch of juicy uh, um, uh, money flowing their way. They don't care if they've got to wash off the blood slowly and carefully. They're happy to spend it. Because they have this massive conflict of interest and they need all the money from the state, they, based upon that need and that greed, they then construct ex post facto justifications for it. And I think that's really, really important to understand. People have impulses. Those impulses are greed or shame or hatred or desire or lust or fear. They have these impulses that are usually unknown to them consciously. And then they construct an ideology to justify whatever those impulses are triggering them to do. Uh, The impulse Proceeds and is often in direct conflict with the reasoning centers. But the reason, and you can see this happening in the brain. You can look up the studies that people have strong emotional responses and then afterwards they create justifications for it. And so the impulses and the emotions are there first and then the reasoning is there later. So thinking you can change people's emotions by changing their reasoning is putting the cart before the horse. It's like thinking you can stop it from raining by putting up an umbrella. (laughs) You can't. And so, the reasoning is entirely backwards. The emotional issues need to be dealt with and then people can reason. But right now, reason is just the um, icing they put on the shit sandwich of their own chaos and confusion. So, I mean, this is just a basic reality. The other thing, of course, is that when people have prejudices, more science is uh, is explicating this or showing us this very rapidly. When people have existing prejudices, Showing them facts that run counter to those prejudices does not dislodge those prejudices. In fact, statistically, it is much more likely to make those prejudices stronger. So if people have a prejudice that you know, more government that the government helps the poor or whatever, showing them the facts to so the contrary will only reinforce their belief that the government helps the poor. Uh, education is not the way to go. I mean we know this, this is very clear. I mean, I don't know of a single free market economist who has a government-protected, tenured position who has said, ooh, you know what? I say that people should submit themselves to the rigors of the free market. Therefore, I must leave my government-protected, tenure-track, public sector union position and go into the (laughs) exciting world of podcasting or radio or television or book writing or whatever it is. They don't give up their tenure-track positions, even if they have postgraduate work post-PhD work in free market economic, e- economics, even if they're a complete Austrian economist and, and recognize that quality results from voluntary interactions, they will still hang on to their tenured positions and their summers off and so on. So even if we gave every single human being in America and Canada and Europe, even if we gave everyone in the world the exact equivalent of a PhD in free market economics and they knew all of the arguments about free trade versus protectionism or whatever, they still would not give up their status privileges. And we have the perfect example of free market economists in the existing world who don't. And so education is not going to work because people do not form their beliefs based on any reason and evidence. They form their beliefs based upon the ping pong, ping ball bouncing off prior prejudices, traumas, susceptibilities to propaganda, emotional volatility, and fear of ostracism. And so... uh, That's not going to work. This is why we have to recognize it's a multi-generational process. I really, really beg everyone, look into the science, look into the facts, stop wasting your time on politics and start spending your time wisely and productively. Stop being the rabbit that runs all over and never gets to the finish line. And let's do that slow plodding turtle thing. Peaceful parenting, a rejection of spanking, a rejection of of aggression towards children, the upholding of ethics in our personal relationship. And that is how we get there. And we've really spent hundreds, if not thousands of years chasing this idea that all we have to do is educate ourselves and others and we'll be better and let's please stop drinking that hemlock at long long last